Thank you so much, Stuart, and to Finn. Um, lovely to hear you singing and uh, uh, live in here. Uh, those wonderful songs, and uh, and uh, good to good to have all of you with us, wherever you are. As we turn to God's Word, just a couple of things I want to emphasise about the week ahead. Uh, we do have um, a powerhouse prayer and praise meeting on Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. That will be via Zoom. And if you want to join with us and you don't have details, do drop us an email and uh, we can point you in the right right direction. Tom Wedrell, our assistant pastor, is leading that. So I encourage you to join with us. Pato, prayer at 1 every day at 1 p.m. this week, Monday to Friday. And then we continue with our lockdown hallelujahs at 8.45. I'm hoping every day this week. That does rather depend on whether I can get some leaders to do that. But um, that uh, we've instituted just to encourage us to lift up our eyes during this lockdown and to praise God, to sing to God in our homes. And we're encouraging people to do that at 8.45, though though, um, it uh, gets posted on YouTube so you can see it later. I say that um, we had technical difficulties on Friday and Friday's lockdown hallelujah wasn't posted. So if you're looking for that, that's why you can't find it. But do join with us then. Let's turn to God's word. We continue our series in Romans and we've got to Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. He has just said uh, in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all, the Israelites, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? Well, first Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Stuart mentioned uh, Luke 15 and Jesus' parable of the prodigal son there. You can see this is uh, Rembrandt's uh, portrayal of that uh, uh, coming together of the father, son coming back to the father. It is one of the most moving passages in all of Scripture. And yet, interestingly, if you ask many people, certainly many people in churches who they identify with most, many of them will say they identify not so much with the prodigal as with the older brother, somewhat resentful that his spendthrift, spendthrift wastrel brother is being celebrated. His dad's throwing a party for him because he's come back, whereas the older brother, well, he's been here all along. Uh, Jesus is undoubtedly challenging his Jewish listeners at that point. 
You who think you've been faithfully doing God's work, how will you feel when those you regard as less deserving, even pagan Gentiles, are welcomed with open arms? And after the father's rebuke that he gives to his gentle rebuke to his older son, I think Jesus deliberately leaves the story hanging as to what happens next. How will the older brother respond? How will his listeners respond? Last week in our passage, we saw Paul draw two conclusions. First of all, salvation is near. It is easily accessible. You don't have to go searching high and low for it. It is near and it is clear. And secondly, it is easily accessible for all. Everyone can respond. Everyone is given the opportunity to respond. You might remember the objections that Paul is addressing at this point, the objections to his message, to his gospel. If most Jews were rejecting Christ, which uh, was the case in Paul's day, and I guess is the case still today, does that mean that God has rejected Israel? And if he has rejected Israel, what about all God's promises to them in in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what Paul would just call the Scriptures. Um, what about all those promises? And here Paul continues by reflecting on more of these Old Testament passages. And as he does so, he's reinforcing that the gospel is not something new. The gospel is very much rooted and flows from the Scriptures, the Old Testament. It's not something new Paul has dreamed up. It's what God's Word was pointing to all along, just as he said in verse 4, that Christ is the end, the fulfillment, the goal of the law. So he starts off in verses 14 to 15 by referring to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Um, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he's saying, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom... Of they've not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless someone is sent um, Isaiah in uh, chapter Isaiah 52 Isaiah's envisaging a great event he's envisaging the Lord's returning presence to Jerusalem he's coming back to Jerusalem as his people return after exile and that very much chimes with what, with what Paul has just said in verse 8 in the preceding passage. What does it say? The word is near you. You don't have to go searching high and low. In Christ, the Lord has come near. That's what he said in the previous passage. And this is good news. This is great news. I don't know if you can imagine so, uh, the postman coming to your door uh, one day and delivering a cheque for £10,000. How might you respond? Well, out of joy, you might just conceivably hug the postman because you're so excited. Well, Isaiah is celebrating the very feet of the messenger because they bring such good news. Now, Paul, he's an apostle of Christ. He's been sent by Christ to, perform, uh, to, to proclaim this message. And so he is such a messenger. And remember, one reason he's writing this letter is to get the Roman Christians to support his proposed missionary journey to Spain. Uh, So he may well have that in mind, as he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He's, He's kind of giving them a prod to support him in his mission. But also, he will have experienced a a good deal of opposition. 
probably even from the Christians in Rome. On the one hand, from Jewish believers, who perhaps haven't quite quite grasped the plot and are wondering why on earth is Paul spending, uh, expending so much energy preaching to Gentiles. Or indeed, perhaps Gentile believers wondering why Paul is still concerned about unbelieving Jews, as if they've had their chance and now, now it's gone. No, says Paul, this good news has to be proclaimed in Christ to all. In Christ, the Lord is near. That's good news. So get behind the messenger. Recognize the messenger. In verses 16 to 17, uh, but not all, not all the Israelites, the NIV says, but actually they've added that in. But not all accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Um, not all have accepted, including many Jews, of course, in, including many from Israel, also many Gentiles having accepted. It's worth remembering that as well, of course. But then he quotes from Isaiah 53, verse 1. So we had Isaiah 52, now he moves on into Isaiah 53, which is actually all part of the same passage, really. Who has believed our message? But you will know Isaiah 53 goes on to the, the famous suffering servant passage that we quote particularly at Easter about the servant bearing the iniquities of us all and so on. Um, a famous passage. Isaiah is writing 700 years before Christ came. He knew then that not all would believe just as many Jews rejected Isaiah's message in his day. Not all the Jews believed what Isaiah was saying or, were, or, or took it on board. So many would not listen to Christ either. Who has believed our message? Indeed, many would not listen to Paul also. The word of Christ has been preached incipiently in the Old Testament scriptures through the law and the prophets and now fully in the preaching of the apostles. Some have responded. But many haven't. He goes on to verse 18. I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Did they, have they not believed because they haven't heard? Well, says Paul, no. The message has been delivered loud and clear. He now quotes a psalm. Psalm 19, which is, which is a famous psalm that starts, The heavens declare the glory of God. It, it pictures creation itself proclaiming, who God is, what his character is like. Similar to what Paul said back in chapter 1 where he said, uh, verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Creation itself has told us about God. Uh, as interestingly, Psalm 19 moves from God's general revelation in creation through to his more specific, his clearer revelation, you might say, in the law. Um, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, the law of the law is perfect, reviving the soul, verse 7 says. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So he goes on through Psalm 19 saying, on the one hand, there's creation revealing God. Now we have the law revealing God even more fully. The Old Testament scriptures. And again, Paul is alluding to that continuity between his message 
and what he would call scripture, our Old Testament. Interestingly, Psalm 19 ends, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Now, when Paul quotes from one bit of scripture, he usually has the whole passage in mind and is bringing the whole weight of the whole passage to bear. But isn't that interesting? Mouth and heart. Where have we heard that before? Oh, yes, we heard it last week, didn't we? From verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we move on to verse 19. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Last week, we saw Paul quoting Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30. Now he goes on to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Moses himself foresaw the Jews' rejection of this message. He knew that people wouldn't believe, even if he's, as he foresaw the turning of many Gentiles, many non-Jews, to the Lord. And now we begin to see that there's a purpose even in this. This didn't take God by surprise. He'd factored it all into his plan. As the Jews rejected the message, so it went out to the Gentiles, some of whom responded. And that in turn, says Moses, will lead to stirring up envy in the Jews. Think of that older brother and the prodigal son. Think of his resentment and envy as his younger brother is welcomed back. That's a bit like the, uh, the, the, uh, what, what Paul is talking about here. Will that older brother stay resentful or will he respond with faith? Paul is going to drill down into this more in chapter 11. But we see that God wasn't taken by surprise by this rejection. It's been baked in for his purposes. And in this way, God allowed sin to be concentrated on his people in one place so that the Messiah could come along and take the mantle of that sin, take the burden of that sin and so deal with it. And from the Messiah, God's saving purposes open out once more to the whole world as the gospel is offered freely to all, Jew and Gentile alike. And so he goes on to verses 20 to 21. Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he said, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He's quoting Isaiah again, this time chapter 65, verses 1 and 2. The Gentiles non-Jews who for most of their history were, were just too busy worshipping false gods to even care about the one true God, to even care about how they might please him, while some have now heard the message and have responded, whilst many Jews who've spent their history searching high and low trying to carve out their own righteousness, they have missed the hand of God reaching down often in their pride at their own efforts, deliberately ignoring that hand, stubbornly determined to do it their own way. And Paul is saying, this is what is happening. When you see um, some Gentiles believing, while many Jews reject the message, this is what's happening. It's exactly what God's word said would happen all along. 
And the sharply observant amongst you will have noticed that in many ways, Paul is repeating himself last week and this week. And that's exactly right, although he's doing it in a different order. We have here in this passage that uh, runs from the passage we looked at last week through to um, where we are today, we have here what uh, theologians call a chiastic structure. Um, Paul works his way into a central statement, a key statement, and then he works his way out again. And along the way, the passages mirror each other. Let me show you what I mean. In, in chapter 9, verses 30 to 33, he talks about the Gentiles, though not pursuing righteousness, finding it, and whilst the Jews, despite their zeal, are not finding it. Then in chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, he says that this is because the Jews haven't believed. They've failed to see, verses 5 to 7, that the Lord has drawn near to provide this salvation. They're busy looking elsewhere. They haven't seen the obvious in front of their noses. Thus, he expresses the importance of preaching this good news because how how can they believe if they don't hear? And the response of faith needed to that good news because he is the center of the structure. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew and Gentile alike, that's the center. But then he works out again, verse 14. Uh, He emphasizes again the response of faith needed because drawing on Isaiah 52, the Lord has drawn near, so the message of the good news goes out. But not everyone has believed, verses 16 and 17, whilst others, verses 18 to 21, seemingly the ones who are much further away, they've, many of them have responded possibly, positively, the believing Gentiles. And now that structure is designed to draw attention to the middle bit, the key message at its centre, which is where we ended up last week. Indeed, it's probably the key message of the letter to Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember back in chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation of all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. This is absolutely at the center. Um, But for people to cry out, first of all, they have to hear the message. So we see here then in these verses, verses 14 to 21, we see, first of all, we see a portrayal of Paul's experience. As he's traveled the known world, in every place, first going to the Jew, uh, he's experienced exactly what the word of God predicted. Most Jews rejected the message. But as the messenger has then gone out to the Gentiles, some Gentiles have responded. And yet look where Paul ends in this passage. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Jewish rejection of the gospel does not mean the end for Israel. We saw at the beginning of the chapter, Paul still prays with yearning and expectation that many Jews will turn and believe. After all, this was Paul's own experience. Saul of Tarsus, as he was, stubbornly and zealously opposed the gospel until the risen Lord Jesus himself met him on the road to Damascus and turned him right round. Now, I'm pretty sure Paul thinks, well, if my stubborn heart can be melted 
there's hope for all these unbelieving Jews yet. And that's what he longs for. He yearns for it. Secondly, it's a portrayal of Israel's history. And Paul will go on in chapter 11 to talk of the remnant in Israel, the the small group of faithful Israelites who down through the ages have put their trust in God rather than their own righteousness, rather than looking for help from other powers and other gods. The remnant in Moses' day, he saw much stubbornness and disobedience. But there were others. There was Joshua and Caleb and others who looked with faith to God for deliverance. And the message goes on. And some hear and respond. Others stubbornly resist. It was ever thus. And perhaps Paul is saying, look, don't be surprised at the negative response to my message. Don't let that stop me, you giving me your support. What else did you expect? Look at history. This is what we see. And then thirdly, as we look at this passage, we actually see how it is for us today. Because it's similar, isn't it? For those of us who believe as we seek to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, while we'd love to see more respond positively, we just even, even love just to see some interest from time to time. As people just... Work, uh, Their lives are so caught up with the here and now and and things that are passing. They don't even think for a moment about eternal things, it seems. But we shouldn't be surprised that it's like this. And we shouldn't be discouraged from proclaiming the good news. Any way we can. Because some people will respond with faith. Some people will even thank us for bringing the message. They will tell us how beautiful our feet are. Many won't. And we should not let that stop us. Everything in Scripture leads us to expect just this. The history of Israel. Jesus' own life. Look how the large crowds that gathered at times, look how they drifted away when he started to teach hard things. Even his own disciples. Shuffling away at the darkest hour and leaving him on his own. There's the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, as it used to be called. Both growing up together. Yes, uh, some response to the gospel in amongst rejection and evil and, and, and all the rest of it. God will sort that all out on the day of judgment. There's the parable of the sower. The same seed falling in very different soils, including those who seem to respond springing up with joy. But when hard times come, trials and temptations, they faded away. How often do we see that? We see it so often. We see people coming to faith, showing signs of great joy and growth, but then things happen and they get discouraged or or they make a choice of something or someone who will draw them away for Christ, from Christ. Or perhaps just life goes on and they get battered or distracted and they just gradually drift away it's so sad but then as we think about that we like Paul we have to remember God's patience to us with all of us and how often in the face of our particular 
besetting sin or our areas of disobedience or our tendency to roam and wander, how often could he have said of us, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And so we persevere with patience, just as God has shown patience to us. Kate and I were out walking uh, um, on uh, Friday, and we crossed this field that had been um, ploughed and dressed, and uh, initially it just looked brown, just looked brown, looked like there was nothing growing, but then as the light kind of fell on a different part of it, we saw just a tiny bit of a, a, a green tinge, no more than that. And then as we got closer, as we worked through more of the field, we walked through more of the field, we began to see more and more the the tiny little spring uh, sprouts coming through the 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 the, the grain had uh, the seed had uh, started to grow and pushing through the surface. But it was really encouraging, having seen initially the gr- brown field, then just to begin to see that barely green hue, that 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 tinge. Yes, there's something growing there. And sometimes we've got, to, we've got to spot that, where God is at work. Not to be discouraged by the brown emptiness of the fields, but to see what God is doing and where something is growing. So often, you know, we are longing for someone to respond. It might be a, a close friend or a family member. For many, of us, for many I know at Kennet Valley, it would be your children who've grown up hearing the gospel but who seem to have rejected it. Um, and we can't understand can't understand why they stay at a distance from Christ. And we get disheartened. But then suddenly God completely surprises us by bringing close to him someone seemingly completely out of nowhere. It's how it goes. We've seen that often happen at Kennet Valley many times over the years. Do we give up praying for those we yearn for? No. Just as Paul continues to pray and yearn for a response from his fellow Jews. We don't give up, but we do rejoice when we see God working elsewhere. And we look to work with him in that. It's an important lesson to learn, I think, that it is not up to us whom God chooses to work in. It's not up to us whom he brings within our orbit. It's not up to us as a church who he brings through our doors. That's up to him. We don't get to choose and we shouldn't get to select who therefore we invest in. It's a good job too we don't get to choose because we'd probably be very selective in, our t- in terms of who we'd want to come. Who's more trendy? Who's more cool? Who's more influential? Who might contribute more to us? I remember back in the days of the, uh, the building, when we were building this building and we still needed a huge amount of money. I remember prayer walking and prayer walking perhaps through the more affluent areas of this local area. Uh, I won't mention any roads just in case there are people listening there and looking at those rather big houses there and thinking, do you know, Lord, we don't have many people from these kind of houses be quite nice if you sent one or two from here to us at this time. 
Thankfully, I always caught myself. Hold on, that's not right, is it? (laughs) The Lord can send who he likes and he can raise his money however he likes, as he did wonderfully. But, you know, you see what I mean? We might make shallow judgments about who is more likely to respond. We might make shallow judgments about where we invest our energies. Judgments that reveal all our prejudices, of course. That's up to God who he works in. That's up to God who he brings to us. And so when God does bring people to us in whom he's working, Let's be ready to welcome, rather than thinking, hmm, well, that's not the kind of person we wanted, really. And let's not let our prejudices prejudices determine who we share the message with. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let us proclaim the word, the message of this good news to all, however we can. And let no one watching today be part of that group that the Lord utters that heartfelt plea to. Lord, uh, all day long I have held out my hands. Does the Lord say that to you? Has he been, has he been holding out his hands to you for years and years? Or maybe you have responded at one time but now you've wandered off again. Or maybe you kind of just sit at a distance thinking, well, I don't not believe this. I just, you know, it's just not really the center of my life. All day long, I've held out my hands, says the Lord. He's got nothing but good for you. Why would we continue to be disobedient and stubborn? Now, of course, he was talking to the Jews there. But remember, the Jews as a nation of priests in so many ways simply represent the whole of humanity to God, the heart of humanity to God. And certainly in this respect, fallen human nature's stubbornness in refusing to turn and be saved. Let none of us be obstinate in the face of this very, very good news. It does include you. It really does. You might think, oh, I can't can't possibly include me, the things I've done. Yes, it does. God knows. He saved people who've done far worse things than you have. Jesus the Lord is king and he's coming to reign. He died on the cross to deal with sin and evil and God has raised him to new life which he bestows on all who put their trust on him. That is the good news. All are included if we look and live. So friend, look and live. Let's pray. Father, this is good news. This is very good news that you've not left us to the consequences of our rebellion against you. You've sent your son to die, to be raised, to reign now at your right hand. And his kingdom is coming. The Lord is near. He is not far from each one of us. All we have to do is to reach out with the hand of faith. All we have to do is to turn and look with the eye of faith 
and believe. Father, what more could you do for us? How easier could you make it? And letting all we know our hearts. We know our hearts, those who are just stubbornly resisting that because perhaps they just don't want to make their lives accountable to you. They want to live their own way. Lord, break that resistance. Melt their hearts, I pray, by your grace. And Lord, those of us who have followed you, are following you, we know our own hearts can still be stubborn and resistant, just not wanting to give up that particular area, just wanting to hold on to our pride in this area, just wanting to nurture our bitterness in this area, our unforgiving spirit, because it makes us somehow feel better about ourselves. Lord, we have it so twisted. Melt our stubborn hearts. And may your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, do its full and complete healing in our lives. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing as we close um, a Getty song uh, uh, for which that we're grateful to have their permission to, to stream this. Um, it's an old hymn, actually, uh, to which they've added a chorus. Uh, and it... Uh, reminds us of the task we have to take this message to those who've not yet heard uh, so that they too can hear and believe. Facing a task unfinished.